Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And uh, today, get to finally have on the podcast uh, Mr. Keith Vitale. Keith is a former world champion, martial artist, uh, actor, author, soon-to-be podcast host, uh, Hall of Famer, the Black Belt Hall of Fame uh, in 1981, where his peers also voted him as one of the top 10 greatest fighters of all time. And a martial artist since I've started this podcast that I've always wanted to have on the show. And it's great to actually finally have Keith here today. Hi, John. How you doing? Nice to be on the show. It's, uh, I, I kind of want to start, when I started the podcast, it was funny because I'm a big avid collector in uh, old school, like 80s, 90s VHS tapes. And I've also loved always martial arts. And I never had the luxury or time or dedication like some of you, some of the people like yourself, that could dedicate their life and career or something like that. And I've just been blown away by martial arts. Well, when the pandemic first hit, I uh, I went back. I was like, I'm going to go back and just start organizing this stuff and play around with the VHS player, right? And uh, No Retreat, No Surrender 3 has always been uh, just underrated just love the movie well my first guest on the podcast actually was lauren avedon he's been on the podcast four other times and uh we've kind of built his friendship and i just love when he started talking stories about working alongside you in that movie and to start learning about your career it's uh it's one of the cool things about podcasting because you get to learn and really do deep dives on people that when you're as a kid watching that stuff you never realize you get to actually talk to these people down the line and again it's great to have you on here Wonderful. Yeah, I just finished uh, interviewing Lauren myself a couple weeks ago. So on March 1st, uh, he goes, uh, we, we're going to drop his episode for the interview. He's, he's phenomenal. He's probably one of the best kickers I have ever worked with or ever seen. He's so passionate about that. And maybe we'll just start there. I know you're launching your own podcast here. Tell us a little bit about that, like kind of what your thoughts behind that. I think it's genius. And there's not enough of those type of podcasts out there. I know. I think Black Belt Magazine has their own podcast. They host other martial artists. But for someone like you to kind of spearhead your own type of thing here, I think that's super important. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, You know, I have the advantage that I have a martial arts fighting career behind me. So I have a lot of followers and people around the world that watch me fight or still fans of mine from the old days. And then when I started doing star name films, it's a whole different group of fans around the world. And, uh, you know, so I, I get on a lot of podcasts like yours and I was on one, uh, a guy named Bruce Willow from. Portugal. Oh, great. He has the best production value I've ever seen. That's my goal is to be there one day. Yeah. You know, I love the guy. He's so cool. Just his opening of his show was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> but anyway, he, at the end of the interview, he goes, why don't you have your own podcast? And I had never thought about it before. He said, Keith, you know, so many people and you worked with so many martial artist and I was back in the old days with all the the great martial artists you know the Joe Lewis's Bruce you know all the guys Chuck Norris and all those guys I used to train and, and know them and then I had the benefit of doing well competing and then I got a chance to star with some wonderful people like Jackie Chan and Lauren Avedon and Shokasugi and you know he says my gosh he says you know you could have a pretty good success we'll see I've um I've got about 20 shows already cash loaded ready to go 
And uh, we launched on the 15th. And I, I hope some people follow me and, and like the show. And I, we'll do everything we can on our end to help push that as well. It's like, but when you kind of do that, how fun is it for you to kind of jump into those conversations with like a Lauren or whoever else you have coming on, people you've either competed against or shared the screen with? Like, it's got to, does part of you kind of be like, man, I wish I could go back and re redo some of this stuff? Exactly. And here's the point. I have an insurance agency. I am trying to get out of it. I want to sell it. I want to get away from it because this is what I want to do. This is fun. Like you're finding out right now, you'll discover new facts about people and then people that I know. And guess what? That's work. I wish I could work like this every day. This is like if you have a love of the martial arts, then this is where you should be. Well, it's one of those things, too, where there's a lot of people that might have been really good fighters or martial artists, but they don't have a story to tell or they're not actively trying to keep making the world a better place. It's like, obviously we're going to talk upon your books on the bullying and stuff with the kids and the Victor stops the school bully. I think it's the genius approach to getting this type of agenda out there or these topics out there to kids. But again, it, as you get ready for your podcast, what are the, some of the goals you have in terms of doing this? That's a good, great question. Nobody's ever asked me that question before, but you said it. it's a key phrase and I've used it before making the world a better place. I can only do it on a small way the impact that I can make and leave. And fortunately, I have a lot of people that I know and I've worked with and and fans, which are fantastic. But I, I want to be positive and I want to just try to make the world in every capacity a better way. When I first started doing martial arts, I came up old school. I had a tough Korean instructor. He used to beat the dog crap out of us because that's how you did it in the 70s. Give me a hundred push-ups, shut up, you're no good, you suck, now go away. That was martial arts. You're a white belt and you suck all the way up. And I said, you know, I when I start teaching, I want to be so positive that I want to give positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcements and just see if I can make a difference. So I started working for Joe Corley. I had a karate school in, in Georgia, in Atlanta. I turned out super kids. I turned down people that could be Power Rangers only because... When these kids came to me, now just think about it, already they're small or maybe being bullied at school or having trouble with their grades. So the last thing they need to do is come into my karate school and have me go, you're five minutes late, give me 10 push-ups. Or you're not doing that right, give me 10 push-ups. I'm like, no, that's what they hear every day of their life. My job was to build them up and to teach them and give them some confidence and skill levels. And so like, if I had a kid come in 10 minutes late, Every karate school during my era would go, you're late, give me 10 push-ups. I'd go, as soon as a kid walked in late, they'd be so embarrassed. I'd get down, I'd hug them and go, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you today. If I'm going to make anybody do push-ups, it's the dad who was late. I'm just going to make the kid do push-ups. So, and and again, I was so, I, I, it's such an impact that I hope I made. I was so careful never ever to call down a student in front of other students because that kills them. When you point somebody out of, I've got 50 kids on the class and I go, hey, Johnny, that's not good. You're not doing that right. Well, guess what? I just crushed his soul. So what I would do is I'd walk around, I'd have drills and then I'd walk around and the guy could be punching straight up like this. It didn't matter. I would take it. I'd move his hand like this. I would tap him and go, man, that's that's really good. John, I'd go, your hair looks good today. I'd say something positive about him. I'd correct him. And then I'd give them another positive reinforcement. Go, man, that's wonderful. Then I'd walk away. I always gave positive reinforcements. Then it was miraculous. I developed super kids. I developed kids that could just destroy anybody in tournaments and everywhere they went. And people said, how do you do it? 
And I found out the secret was positive reinforcement. You don't tear them down. They're already torn down. You build them up, and you, but you work them hard and you demand a lot. So that's what I really loved. And so now when I'm doing podcasts, I get to share these kind of stories. And I'm finding out from two different paths of lies. I'm, I'm interviewing martial arts because the magazines are gone. There's no ratings in magazines. If there's ratings, there's like 20 of them because everything's tribal and everybody has their own association. Yep. I know people who have are 27-time world champions. And I go, 27 times? What world are we talking about? You know, it's so it's just so chaotic. So it kills me. Everybody's a world champion. It's watered down the sport itself. So what I like to do is kind of reintroduce old martial artists that the young generation of people haven't had a chance to meet or would never meet. So, you know, guys like Mike Geneva, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to do super Dan Anderson and Ray McCallum and, oh, yeah. you know, just people that nobody would know of, but during our era, they were the bad as can be. They were phenomenal. And so by reintroducing them, I'm hoping the people to start following them and giving them the respect. It's almost like me paying back. I promise you, I've got more awards than I deserve. But I want to now, at my time in my life, I want to pay back and give these guys some, you know, some acknowledgement for what they've done. And then on the other half, I'm very fortunate to have starred with guys like Jackie Chan and Lauren Abaddon. So I want to get inside their heads and interview them and hopefully promote whatever they're promoting. Just tell me what you want me to promote. That's the only, the only thing I care about. It's not for me. It's really for them. I uh, I had the luxury of having Kathy Long on the show a bunch, Richard Norton, Keith Cook. It, it's almost like you just said, some of these people are so amazing athletes and martial arts. And, and But it's, it's just, I've always said that I'm going to give homage and thanks to the people I watched growing up. And I remember as a kid, when you go to the grocery store with your parents, I would automatically go to the, the Black Belt Magazine or Inside Karate, uh, all these different stuff that's right, no longer right. there. And now even Black Belt Magazine, uh, which you can still get the physical, but a lot of it's online now based, which, buddy, I, get, I don't want to get the world. I don't want to get the politics yeah. of it, but where did, like, to your point, where did kids like me when I was a kid go to the grocery store that you don't see that anymore? And you don't have these kids that get an interest of seeing someone Chuck Norris throwing a guy or Gene LaBelle with a judo hold on someone, or you don't see that type of stuff. And it's like for you as a teacher, it is vital for you to not knock these people down because it's so easy to say you suck or you're going to be a terrible martial artist. Like, you, it's like, how, like in terms of martial arts today, and you notice it as a teacher and doing what you do now, what needs to change to make it? Maybe you can't bring it back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, but what can you do to make it fill it up with kids that want to learn and become the new Keith Vitalis? Well, I, I tell you what, the schools are filling up. So there's still an interest. When I, when I was teaching back in the old days, I don't call it old days, you know, years ago, we had to educate the parents about the benefits of martial arts. We had books and booklets. You sit them down in the office. And this is why your kid needs martial arts. Today, the parents know that. Today, just like soccer or lacrosse, they're all going to take some kind of self-defense class like martial arts, you know, karate or whatever the case might be. So there's no longer do we have to educate them. They just come in doing that, which is kind of a benefit. But the magic is gone. And let me tell you the magic. The magic is or was, just like you said, first of all, Keith uh, Hirabashi. Do you know his oh, name is Hirabashi? Keith Hirabashi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I tell, you, I, I tell Keith, Keith's a friend of mine. I go, Keith. If my name is Hirabashi, I would stay with Hirabashi. That's the best name I've ever heard. Yeah. I'm Keith Hirabashi. 
guess what? Keith Coco cares. Keith Hirabashi. Oh my gosh. And uh, and uh, also, uh, who else did you mention? You mentioned Kathy uh, Long, Richard Norton. Now, Richard Norton, he's my first mentor. He's my first almost good friend mentor. And in the, in the, I can't wait to interview him. I love the guy. So, but here's the thing. The magazines are no longer there. They're streaming now. It'll never come back because the world's changed. You don't go in the libraries. You don't go in the bookstores. You don't go in the magazine stores and open up official karate or karate illustrated. We did. And I'm telling you, there was a, the romantic excitement to that when you'd go in and open it up and go, wow, here's a story of my favorite fighter. Now, from my perspective, I was pretty fortunate. I was on like 13 magazine covers. So I'd go in looking for my covers. And when I'd see a cover, I'd go, oh, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a billionaire or you're a pauper. It it affected you. And I'd, I'd be so proud to see myself on the cover, open it up. And there's a story what that did, though, it created stars in the martial arts. The stories did it, and especially the covers. So now you have a whole generation of people all over the world because the magazines went all over the world. They followed these magazines and created stars. To this day, nobody should know who I am, but they do because they have covers of me and magazine articles. And today I have about, I don't know, I have so many black belts. I have two of them that have probably won more than anybody alive you know, they said, I've won 200 tournaments. And I go, you're my student. I didn't even know that. Well, I won the, I won in Europe and I won this. I won, I go, I'm your instructor. I didn't even know that. I said, so what does it matter? I mean, it's not being broadcast or marketed or, or nobody showcased to the world. So I feel so bad for them. But just to be an athlete today in the martial arts doing well and know there's no magazine articles, no magazine stories, no magazine following you around, no publicity, you know, so you're like going, God, so hard. Whereas we had it. And I'm telling you, in our day, we had the heyday. We had the magazines, we had the editors, we had all of that, but it was even better than that. We followed the best generation, the Joe Lewis and Jeff Smith and Bill Wallace and those guys then our generation came down with Mike Geneva and Super Dan Anderson and Robert Harris and all these guys and, and Ray McCallum especially. And we had our own group of fighters and the magazines built it up. We had the stories and, and that's and, and now today they know who we are because of that. Was the, the transition, I know you have a track background, kind of how you jumped into martial arts, but from that transition, then the transition from actual full contact tournaments and karate and champion all that type of stuff into filming what was a different different trans what was a more difficult transition for you great question the the fighting was the easiest for me because of my track background so imagine i was a distance runner in college high school and college so i'd run 20 mile runs and competitively but you know at one time i was one of the fastest in the world for my age group so now you're talking about taking an athlete from track who's got a great cardiovascular, that means I can fight all day. I've got great wind. And oh yeah, give me some strong legs too. I got more, more miles on my legs than you got on your car. So now you take that athlete and you put him in a sport like karate where he's got a kick and then fight somebody. I can beat up Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan and their mothers if they're tired. That's how I always looked at it. All I had to do was get them tired. You ever been so tired in a ring where you can't lift your arms or running? You can't lift. You just, you're, well, guess what? When I'm fighting you and I can get you to feel like that, I feel invincible. <laughs> and so I knew I had that advantage. Now, making that transition 
into films was harder because I was always confident in my kicking ability, my, my martial arts, and never doubted it. But the acting is yeah. so much harder because now you have to project with your face and project with your body. Now, I don't care how many acting classes I took. My first role was Revenge of the Ninja. I was a star of that Classic. with Shokasugi. And I was just ready for it until the director goes, action. And I'm like this, and action. I'm back to fighting in a ring. And you you revert back to your ring days, and you're just you're blank. And you're like this, you're going, because you don't want to project anything to the to your opponent. And so I just remember Chuck Norris called me up after that movie, and he goes, Keith, you did a good job of Revenge of the Ninja. I said, Chuck, I sucked. It was hard to project. He goes, Keith, I know it. He had the same problem. He said, because we're fighters, we don't project. But to be a film star, you need to project everything, every emotion, every feeling, because really the fight is told by your face and how you react to the techniques. You know, so if a guy hits you and you just do that, well, apparently that guy's punch or kick wasn't that strong. But if he can just thumb you and you flip over, wow, man, he's got the strongest fingers in the world. So I, along with Keith Strandberg and Michael DeBasquale, we had a film camp in Storm King, New York. And for 10, 12 years, we taught it. We taught people how to break into films. And we've always told them, it's not about you being the star. It's about you reacting to the star, making the star look good. And that was the key. So that's the big transition that I've still found going from fighter uh, from the, you know, from the, that world of martial arts until to acting. Now, you certainly, when it comes to on-screen fights, anyone from Sam Hong, and then some of the best stuff I know you've done is Stone Cold on the show Nash Bridges. But when it comes to various opponents on film, or maybe an actor that isn't have a background in martial arts, is it diff what's more difficult for you, finding someone with a different fighting style that's acclaimed in what they do, or trying to stage or create a fight scene that's believable with an actor that has no martial arts background? Well, you know, you think it's, a, it's, it's really not hard at all because like Lorna and I fought this guy, uh, Ryan Hunter, Ryan, Ryan just... Hunter. And guess what? I don't think the guy knew martial arts, but to watch that film, Jeez. you would think he's better than Lorna and I. Now, my problem is I had an ego and <laughs> my son at the time would go, dad, you suck. I go, what are you talking about? He's eight or nine years old. He goes, you let an old man beat you up. I go, it's the movies. It's in the script. He goes, but I don't understand. Why would you let an old man beat you up? Because you can double him in a way. So when they're choreographing it and put it together, the stunt coordinators, we've had some of the best in the world, but Samuel yeah. Hung and Tony Leung. And what they do is they put three or four fight sequences moves together and they work it out among themselves. You, Laura and I sit there and we just watch them. And so they do it two or three times. So they go look at us. You go, you got it? We go, okay, let's go through it one time. We go through it one time and they go, okay, let's shoot. You do that four or five moves, stop. And then they work out the next four or five moves right there on the spot. It's not programmed or pre-thought. They do it right there and they take it and you fight all day long, all day long. No rest, no time, no injuries. You know, I was joking with Lauren. I said, people think it's romantic. You're making a movie and, oh, are you tired? Why don't you go back to your trailer and why don't you rest for a little while? Nah, guess what? I pulled a muscle, you know, doing a fight scene with Samuel Hung. And they go, no problem. They bring out the spray and they spray my leg and deaden the muscle. <laughs> so, you know, I can continue fighting. Now, the next day you look at your leg and it looks like a beautiful rainbow, purple and blue, and all the different colors that your muscle now looks. But no, so it's not that difficult. The fight sequences in a film, 
it's not that difficult. And if you don't have a fighter, uh, if you have a fighter who's not trained in the martial arts, that's not normally a problem because they double him in a way or her with wigs and everything else that you don't even know it. I still think that final, that last 20 so minutes of return or uh, no retreat, no straight or three is such a, I guess, obviously well choreographed, but so thought out, like with, you have the blade in your, your shoe, the scaffolding part, using the blade right. as a weapon, like in terms of putting that together, or even the famous fight in Meals on Wheels with Samo and Jackie and everyone there and Benny the Jet. And how cool is it for you to look back and be like, you're part of films and specifically scenes in movies where people go back. If I want to look at a badass action martial arts scene, I'm watching one of these two. Because if you go to the YouTube comments, everyone's always like, my God, this is the best. I always watch this once a year. Or I love this movie. Or it's so, it's just awesome. Like, how's that feel? That's wonderful. I tell you where I get my pride kind of is so different. I don't think anybody's ever said this before, but I've been with my wife watching a TV show, another martial arts. And I go, they'll do some techniques. I go, Hey, that's mine. That's they got that from me, from our fight scene, from this film, because it'd be the same one. And guess what? And when we're doing our film, put it together, the same group of stunt fighters, the coordinate in the film, they're looking at old videotape and stealing from them as well. We're kind of piecing it together. So it's kind of nice to watch a film and I go, you see that whole sequence? That's the one I did in my movie. I know exactly where they got it from. It's kind of cool. When you, again, like with some, like that Meals on Wheels, the Benny the Jet, Sambo, Jackie Chan, yourself, and numerous I mean, other people, I can't even think of the other guy that you go against in the dining room and stuff, but it's well, such yeah, a, uh, yeah, it's, it's such an incredible because it's the first time when I watched that movie where it's like the dubbing. Sure. I get now as you older, you know why, but you were so menacing. You kind of touched upon the fact that with very little lines, how you looked, you look like the ideal henchman. You look, you looked like the bad guy without even opening your mouth. You look like scary. You look brooding. And I, I think that was just so cool how well that was done because when you first appear in the, the white suits with Bay and the jet, I'm just kind of like, well, what's Jackie chance to stop this guy. And then you realize, google and all the stuff like well holy crap like these guys are legit champions in real life it's kind of cool how they did that yeah and the guy's name is yong bao he's part of that that uh troop there's three of them and they went to um what they call a chinese theater they grew up as children and the yes. parents drove them to a camp basically in china drop them off 10 years later come pick them up and during this this it's almost like they call it a peking opera is outlawed now. Uh, Samuel and Jackie Chan were telling me that the government stepped in and outlawed. It was so Jeez. rigorous and so rough. But they learned how to sing and dance and paint and sword fight and flip and jump and fight. It was a school and it was it was rigorous and it's tough and they were beaten and you know humiliated. It was just a tough school. So those three came out of that school and they called each other Big Brother. And get this, the brothers can't ever go against the Big Brother. So Samuel's the oldest. Then Jackie, then Young Bao. And sometimes I'd be with Young Bao. And I said, Well, why don't you say something? He says, I can't. They're my big brother. I said, So you're not, he's not, I'm not allowed. And then I go, Jackie, why don't you say something to, to Samo? Because he was upset about something. He says, I can't. He's my big brother. Whereas Samo could say anything to anybody and he would. He'd just go nuts. He would, you know, sometimes they, I remember they, they filmed, we filmed, did a night scene and they were gambling the whole night. And it's all night, all night. They're talking like $100,000 they have on the line. 
And we can't even film because Samuel's losing money. He won't come out to film until he gets his money back. And finally he gets it back. Then he comes out. And then he's laughing and smiling. Well, you know, Jackie just shaking his head. In terms of, as you kind of transitioned from like being in front of the camera to behind it with like Blood Moon, the Gary Daniels movie, which I guess I think another classic, but you transitioned like producer role, uh, executive producer, that type of aspect of filming. What kind of got you to be like kind of looking at it a different way and kind of jump behind the camera? Great question. I I have one of my best friends on this planet, really my two best friends, guy named Mike Genova in Columbia. And then my other one is Keith Strandberg. And Keith and I, for 20 years, did everything together. Now, he lived up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then for the last 10 years, he's been living in, in Switzerland. But we would train together. We we actually represented a product together, became friends. And we started playing tennis and basketball and football together. And we would do two-on-two. And together, Keith is such a phenomenal athlete, Keith Strandberg. Nobody could ever beat us in these camps because he's just such a phenomenal athlete. So Keith is a producer. He's produced like nine or 10 movies. He's the one who discovered Van Damme, put him in the first No Retreat, No Surrender one. He wrote all three of the No Retreat, Surrender movies. So I did one with him. And then I, and then we were such good friends. And then I came to him one day and I said, you know, I've done a lot of different films. I said, Keith, I would like to step up and learn how to produce. He goes, okay, our next film is going to be a film called Super Fights with Brandon Games as a star, co-stars with me. He said, I want you to have double duty. You're going to star in it, but you're also you're going to learn how to do be a producer. The first thing I learned as a producer is that I became the enemy, which is kind of weird. When you're an actor and a stunt guy, whatever you are on the film crew, you are cool. You can take your Jeep and run over the set and they go, oh, he's cool. Look at the way he did that. But when you're part of management, when you become the producer, you're the enemy. And I remember I did a couple of films with the same crew, the same people, the same everything. So I, I'm the everybody's best friend. So now I'm the associate producer, my first produ production. And I walk in, they won't talk to me. And I go, why won't you guys talk to me? And they say, well, because you're the enemy now. You're you're the management. I now it's bothering me so much, but I wanted to learn how. And so I learned every aspect of it. Then Keith said, all right, let's do another film together with Gary Daniels, Blood Moon. And he said, Keith, I want you to have the responsibility to find the set. I mean, find the location, uh, find everything. So I went to screen gyms in North Carolina and uh, negotiated everything there. And we got the guy named Jer Gerald Wallard, who was the vice president of screen gyms. He was in management. So everybody, all the movies being made there, he was just management. So I walked up to him. I mean, I offered him, I said, what if you, would you guys like to, would you like to be a producer with me on this film with Keith Strandberg? And he, he sees films every day and he went, oh yeah. So what it did was it opened up Pandora's box for us because now we had all the lots and back lot and sound stages, everything you know that we had available to us because now we had one of the management guys as a producer. So Keith and I started producing together and I produced, uh, I actually produced his film for him to get his master's in college, you know, so wow. I, I, you know, but we, but we go so far back and we do everything together. One of my uh, future interviews is with Keith Strandberg as well. Awesome. Would in terms of the, 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 would you be, would you get behind the camera and stuff and all that? If, and when you are now, I know you kind of hinted at the fact that you're trying to get baby, get out of insurance and kind of do what you do, like with the podcast and martial arts. But so how does someone, what if there's like, cause you watch these movies today, 
Um, and usually the bad guys are like a Daniel Bernhardt or someone with a, a really good martial arts background. You see them in all the same movies, uh, playing the same type of character, but obviously they're there because they're really good at that role and they know what they're doing with stunts and stuff. How does someone, or what's the likelihood of someone now? Like, how do you, do you have to put your feelers back out where it's like, hey, I'm available to be a play an uncle in a movie or be a stuntman for a certain character? Like, how do you get back involved in the film without something you want to do? I, I, I personally don't. I, I'm very happy. I, I have two grandkids that I think the world of and they live close by. And uh, part of my sacrifice was growing up, I had my two, a boy and a girl, Travis and Jen. And I was away a lot and I missed a lot and I swore I would never do that again. So now I'm, I'm, I have a, a 13 year old and a six year old. And as they're growing up, I even play competitive tennis. And I told my grandson the other day, in fact, two days ago, I said, I'm not even I'll play during the week competitive. I have matches during the week. But I said, I'm not ever playing on the weekends again because I'm not missing any of their games. I go all to their games. My wife and I go all to their games. So. I, you know, so it's a great question. Personally, I don't have that as a motivation to do other films. Even if somebody offered me one, I go, nah, no thanks. I'd much rather interview them and promote something of theirs. That's more fun for me. And I've got a great lifestyle, beautiful home, wife, family. So I, I'm as happy as I can be. I don't need to get back on the road and take off for another five, you know, three, four months at a time. No, I hear you. When it comes to this you have this project you've been kind of working on called Boone, which is obviously based on Daniel Boone. And it, is there anything you would talk about that? Because it's such a fascinating. Yeah. I love that point of history. I don't think there's enough stuff on the like the American frontier with Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone. Um, and now in my I've always loved the movie Last Mohicans. And when you when I see a, someone like a project like that, I'm anticipating something in that type of vein with that type of cinematography and stuff. So could you kind of touch upon? Why yeah, I'd love why to. this pro like this project boo like why specifically this part of history are you drawn to him? Yeah, well because he was my my hero growing up. So as a child, awesome. I I loved history. You know, I do read books in like sixth and seventh grade, and you read all about everybody. Oh, you know, we had our our foundation fathers of our country. So it's like you know, even the Buffalo Bills and and Davy Crockett's and Daniel Boone's and, you know, Wild Bick, Bill Hickok, you know, you read all these books. Well, I really like Daniel Boone. I was Daniel Boone as a seven-year-old. I had the buckskin skin yeah. outfit and the, the play rifle. And, and now as I got older, I researched them. Keith and I actually drove our motorcycles down and went to where Daniel Boone was, was uh, born, researched everything. I, I bought all the books on the era from the 1700s and then I put this this uh, treatment together, the script together. The problem is I have some potential backers. Um, I went and I love the fact that I found um, local, not local Indians, but I found uh, they call the Ch Chickamauguas that are kind of relatives of uh, sisters of the Cherokees from the South. Right. Anyway, I got them to take my script and then give it the good housekeeping seal of approval from an Indian perspective. They changed everything. You know, I didn't know stuff. I mean, because everything I learned came from the history books or from somebody. And so I would write in my script, Daniel Boone was captured, which he was. He went to Ohio. They captured him, took him to Ohio, to, to the Shawnee Village. And I wrote in the script. And there were, you know, hundreds of teepees. Well, the first thing they said was, Keith, there's no teepees there. And I went, what do you mean? I've seen it on every movie I've ever seen. There's teepees. He said, that's because you're watching the movies. And that's why we've been really 
you know, there's, we haven't been shown in the light that's true. It's not authentic. I said, well, tell me what would, what would be there if not teepee? He goes, teepees were for the Westerners out West. He says, we would use teepees when we go hunting. He said, but we have villages. He, we have we had camps and villages. So I went to Tennessee. I spent two or three weekends <sighs> with them, and they just poured out their information. I wrote it all in the scripts. He calls me yesterday, as a matter of fact, this guy, he's the chief of the Chickamauga tribes in Tennessee. There's somebody that wants to look at it and make sure the Indian perspective is done. My problem is everything's woke now. You know, I don't yeah, care for if sure. you say anything yeah. from the ha history, oh, that's evil. And I hate that we are judging today's values based on what it was like 100, 200 years ago. If that's the case, then I should be pissed off at the at Caesar. I'm got, I got a you know Italian heritage. Am I pissed off at Caesar? You know, am I mad at Julius Caesar? No, it's, it's history. That's not now. You know, but we still now is so woke, and I hate everything about wokeness. That if you if I do, somebody looks at that script and goes, oh, he's he's from that era. Therefore, you know, it's like Jefferson and George Washington. Oh, and he's white. He must be evil. And and that's going to be one of my hurdles I have to get over and try to find um, some kind of movie house or production that will will accept this. It's uh, I think the Daily Wire started doing stuff with Jida that uh, UFC the, the the girl the chick UFC fighter the Hall of Famer. She got fired from Star Wars because her views. I mean, I don't know enough intricacies of it, but her views did align with Disney, right? And so right, she went right. to Daily Wire. They started doing these westerns, uh, where it's just just tell a story, right? Tell history, and it's. I guess it's it is weird because I remember growing up as a kid learning about. I mean, you read Johnny Tremaine, you'd read All Quiet on the Western Front or Animal Farm, like all these books that kind of touch on really bad parts of history. And yet here we are today where it's like these kids, like my kids one day might not have, like, what are you teaching these kids in history? Are you, is this all after TikTok? Like, because when you knock down statues or try to rewrite these books, it's like history doesn't have to be perfect at rainbows and sunshine. There's really bad parts of history that we all were affected by or different groups or cultures were. It's, it's, it's just disheartening that someone like you can't tell the story because there's one person out there that, Oh, you can't do that. Or well, this might, is bullshit. that might be offended and really history is so important. So it doesn't repeat itself. And that's why you have to learn from it. So you can't erase it. The Taliban ISIS erased history when they were taken over. Right. That's what they did. So it's no different today when you take the, tear down the statues because it's offensive. Guess what? Everything's offensive to somebody, to everybody. You know, you're just going to have to have some strong figure to go, no, enough of that crap. No, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. We wouldn't be a country without George Washington. He's one of my big heroes. I love reading about, I was a history major in college, USC. You know, so I love history. I love reading all about it. They made sacrifices that we couldn't even imagine what they did back then right. to formulate and build and create this country. And now it's, oh, no, you're a bunch of racist bigots. And I go, no, they're not. No, you should see the sacrifices they they had to go through, so you could have, so you could you could do what you're doing today, you know. So, and again, I'm gonna. Lauren Avenon gave me the best advice about Boone because he's read Boone. He loves Boone. He's my biggest champion of Boone and Keith Strandberg. And I said, Lauren, I might have to revise it to fit the ideology today. He goes, Don't you dare. He says, Stay to your principles. 
Keep your book, keep your, your screenplay as it is. Don't change it to, to you know, coddle some ideology of today because you'll change it all the time. And I went, that's the best advice anybody's ever given me. No, Lawrence, I know during the pandemic, like, he and I would just riff on stuff and just talk about, we tried starting some classes and the second wave came and whatever. But I, it, it is that to align yourself with people like that, especially in your industry or anything we're trying to accomplish, your circle has to be all on the same page. No one's perfect, but be a champion for each other. And the fact that you even need to hear him say that to me, me you know what, me, I'm not, not going to change my story. This is what the story, this is as close as I can get, as authentic as I can get to the, tor- the story right, I'm going to tell. Right. It's right. no, uh, it is. And that's why, you know, I'm not giving up on Boone. Boone is my passion, is my, I love it. And one day I'm going to get it done. It's more important to the Indian nations than it is to me. When I'm with them, I literally had Indians, indigenous Indians from Tennessee crying. I said, what are you guys upset? I mean, we're so happy that somebody's listening to us and we're going to see authentic Indian customs on a film for the first time. And I went, wow. I said, that means that much to you? He goes, you have no clue what that means to us. To actually see the dress, the makeup, you know, because I'd go there and they had all the clothing, the guns. They taught me everything. They even taught me how to fight Indian style. They had five different moves, which I put in the boon. Yep. They had stuff so cool that you can't believe this in the boon. Like he showed me something. I, I said, what's that? As a paddle. He took me out canoeing. My wife and I went canoeing with them because they're canoers out in Tennessee. He says, look at my paddle. So I looked at it and I went, he's, this is an authentic paddle from the 1700, 1775. And I said, well, it's nice. I turned it over. Guess what? On one side of the paddle, the river map was etched on the side wow. of the paddle. And I went, I didn't know that. He goes, yeah. He says, that's why we don't get lost. He said, because we have the, we have, you know, the, the river itself on the back, like a map. And I went, nobody taught me that in school. Nobody ever said, you know, they were that, that ingenious, you know? So anyway, I put all that, everything they told me about their customs, their dress, how they looked, how they talked, how they fought. Everything's in my script. So I've got the good housekeeping seal of approval from the native Indians, which might counter the wokeness of everybody else. So that that's my goal is when they start saying, oh, this is offensive. I think the Indian nations might say, screw you. We want to see it because this is this is portraying us in the right light. That's that's my goal. It's uh, last year. I think they released uh, some of the movies of the it's called Prey. It was like based on uh, the Predator film franchise. But it went back to the indigenous or the the Mindhunter, the girl. And all the actors spoke in the local language. I don't know if it was Iroquois or whatever, but all the actors and people in that film were native indigenous uh, peoples. And I thought, why is it, it took so long to have this type of concept where it's like, you know what, if we're going to do this period piece, let's bring in the ancestors and people actually live this life. And that's why I think the movie resonated because you gave these men and women of these tribes a platform to showcase their their history, their art, their creativeness. I think it was genius. Well, you know, the thing about Boone is really the reason that it's going to be accepted, if it's going to be accepted. I mean, it doesn't matter. The wokeness, they find, they find uh, they're offended by everything. It's stupid. I mean, they're offended by everything. So I'm not, I don't care about them. I mean, they upset me so much. But Boone <laughs> was captured and went and lived with the Shawnees for about a year. Be, um, be, you know, he got a, adopted by the head guy from the Shawnee Nation, Blackfish. 
he became one of them. He loved them. So my story really centers around his relationship with them and their lifestyle and, and then it humanizes them. And so when you watch it, you go, I have no idea. They're no different than us. And that was my point. That's the point they wanted to make. Say, so Keith, can you make sure that you, you portray us in that light? And so he loves them. It's only at the point to where he's he's lost in this world. He loves it so much. And Boonesboro's back in Kentucky. He's up in Ohio. And then these Indians come through his camp, you know, the Shawnee camp, the village. And they said, oh, by the way, uh, I'm glad you're with us now, Daniel Boone, because um, we're going to go raid Boonesboro and we're going to kill and mutilate every single one of them, scalp them. So he escapes. In the middle of the night, he takes off, runs five days, he gets back and warns them. And they have the Battle of Boonesboro, which is true. And that battle really helped cement the, the frontier and kept the British out of it. So it was a very pivotal you know, battle. But the whole movie centers around Boone's relationship with them. But here's, here's the hard part. Boone comes back and he's standing on, on the ramps and he's fighting the same people he's lived with for a year because wow. yeah. now they're attacking him. And that's where you sit there and you go, who do I root for? Kind of. It's like, wow. You know, it's one of those. And so it needs to be told that the history in that time. But again, I, you know, I'll run up against it. We all do. We'll run up against insane people. And my problem is I won't handle it well. My reaction yeah, is to say, bite me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my say, my is bite me instead of saying because now I I've heard they're going after people um, that their ancestors had slaves two hundred years ago and they're making them they're shaming them and make them apologize. Oh, two hundred years ago, these people had no responsibility for something that happened two hundred years ago. Right. Shut the hell up, you know. Just my goodness, I think that. Opportunity is there for all races and creeds and people. And we made phenomenal strides. And that's what we should celebrate instead of turning it back into ISIS and starting attacking people and races and and books and customs and, and statues. Someone's got to stop and say, no, enough of that. Stop it. Yeah. Now, obviously, you're very, you are very passionate. And one of the things I've noticed in the last couple of years, especially social media, in the martial arts community, I don't, I don't want to name names, but the, the one individual, Frank Dukes, obviously polarizing, and right. and I don't know the guy, so I'm not going to say anything bad about him. I love the story, Budsport. I love the movie, but I don't know enough about whatever. There's other artists out there that will openly just bash, destroy, kick this guy down, I and I, I don't want to say names because I've had these, some of these guests have been on the show, and but I just you you what you talk, talking about when you talked about it earlier, you said something that I thought was really important to really hammer home that maybe maybe Frank or this another artist martial artist name is insecure and maybe you should pick him up and the way it, the way you kind of act some of these people act high and mighty in the martial arts community it scares away people that might have an interest or it's you lose sight of the martial arts now. Maybe is there a fine line to deal with in preserving and protecting the legacy of martial arts? Sure, but the name calling and the belittling of people, it just seems counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish. Or am I out of bed? Am, am I offline there? No, you're you're hundred percent, and I am friends with everybody on yes. both sides of the party. Yes, Frank, as well as his wife, personal friend of my wife and I, and also the other guys that are fighting. I don't comment. I stay out of it. And if I had a comment, would go, guys, stop it. You know, let's get together and let's be positive and build everybody up. 
but it, it is what it is. I, I just, I try to stay away from it. If I was, in, and it's not political for me, it's not a, so much a political statement, but it's more of a statement of who I am and how I think. I think the Democrats do this in their primaries. They don't, they're not, they don't cannibalize each other on the primaries, on the right. stages. You know, they let each other talk and they go over and then, but the Republicans get oh. on their primaries and they are vicious. They're cannibals. They they eat each other up and they tear each other down. And if I was running, if I was the head of the of the party, I'd go, guys, here's the, here's what I want you to say. I, I want you to say that I believe, and you could say this for the Democrats at the same time. You could say, I want them to say this. Here's our new, this is our new mantra. And we're going to do it just one campaign. You're going to go, I am different than everybody up here. However, every single person up here, I believe it's a better candidate than any Democratic choice. So I'm not going to attack them. All I'm going to do is let you and talk to you in the audience about how I think I'd be better to serve in this position than they are. But I'm not going to be attacking them and quit attacking them. But no, it's it's doggy dog and it's cannibals. And by the time they finish, you know, you, it, it's awful. That, it makes you hate politics. And what I hate about politics is why would anybody get in politics to subject themselves to that? Oh, because it's... you don't you don't argue ideology anymore or you argue you fight and tear each other down personally. Right. And I just go, nah. So you you're our best people, our best brains aren't even getting into politics. Why would you? I wouldn't get my wife's already warned me. She says years ago, don't even get close. Why why do I need half the country attacking me, calling me every name in the book? Right. So I don't I don't even I mess with none of that. You know, I, I like guys like uh, I look up to people like Elon Musk. I think he's a yeah. genius. I think he's our, our future. I hate people attacking him. You know, if you don't have if you don't like him, that's one thing. But to tear him down personally, go after his personal life because you don't like his ideology. But here's a guy trying to save the planet, trying to save the world. Well, to your point, the other day, like they had uh, Bill Gates go after Elon Musk, say he should put his money where his mouth is and feed world hunger as opposed to searching for getting to Mars or getting off the planet. I'm just like, hold on a second. Elon Musk doesn't, maybe he does, maybe he does so much for charity. Who even cares what he does? You know, he helps people, but why knock someone down that's trying to do something else that you don't agree with? It's just, you make this divisive argument where why are you making me pick between Bill Gates and Elon Musk? I can both think you're idiots or great people, but if, if you just stay in your lane, you help everyone. Why just it's just we live in a society, and it, you talked about earlier with the films, even music, where it's like they put these agendas out there. It's like just give me the art, whether it's the art of fighting or the singing. I don't need politics. Don't preach to me. And uh, right, right. yeah, it's just go back to the eighties and nineties, where it's just like I can't. You look at those old martial, those old martial arts action movies. There's no agenda. The bad guy was either a Viet right. Viet Cong warlord. Or a German. Now, you could say that times have changed. There's different villains out there. We're probably our own worst enemy. Uh, but it would just just put show us the art, nothing else. You know, you're you're so right. I I make it an effort to be positive at all times, or try to be positive right. and keep my negative. Because I used to do the posts on Facebook, and I I literally I said something so generic that <laughs> you would go, it's nothing. I hope for world peace. Something like that. And, you know, and then my best friend from, believe it or not, my best friends, I, you know, from childhood that been best friends. I hadn't seen him in a long time, but this guy I attacked me 
worse than anybody I've ever been attacked in my whole life. And I went, oh my gosh, I said, we grew up together. I said, here's the thing. I'm not mad, I'm hurt. I'm literally hurt that you would attack me that way. So I'm gonna say this. I told the guy, I'm gonna go ahead and block you. But before I do, I'm gonna let you know this. If I ever see you, I will beat the dog shit out of you because you are I, an I idiot. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> you are an idiot. I had nothing to do with you. If you can't remain friends or, or say, I don't believe or let's, but to turn on your best friend from childhood, I went, no. So the world is, we're too divisive and we're more divisive than we ever have. And I just wish people would be more, more just in a way positive. Think of the good things, you know, yeah. and, and that's just it. I, I'm trying to, do my part through podcasts. I'm not going to, you know, I talk a little politics here, but it's really not. It's just about not cannibalizing each other right. and just try to stay positive. But I just think if we can stay positive and point out the good things we've, we've done over the last 30 years, instead of the negative stuff, I think we have great opportunities here. No, I think some of those opportunities specifically when it comes to your writing and your approach towards anti-bullying statements, uh, the book you wrote, Victor Stops School, the School Bully with your grandson, Sam, and then Bullyproof Your Child, uh, outside of yourself and Chris Casamasa, another great martial artist, uh, great guy. his book too on bullying, I'm surprised there's not more people with your backgrounds, you and Chris, that talk about this stuff because it's all vital stuff. And how many years ago this book came out, Bullyproof Your Child, your book? It still remains, nothing's changed. It's sad that you, you could write this book today and you really wouldn't have to change much. You maybe have to add that there's now school shooters and all this crazy bullshit happening. But the the basics of what it is takes to bullyproof your kid or to actually understand what a bully is and how they operate, it's like, what kind of kind of gave you like the gumption to do that? Was there an incident in your life or something where you had to kind of step in and do this? No, no. And it's a fact. And you make such a good point. And I've, I've spoken about this before. The problem is this. All these books about bullying, plus all of the requirements in every school in the country that talks about bullying. Yes. I mean, it, but guess what? And there's still bullying. There's a bully in every class and every school in the country. And I'll tell you why. It's because of lack of discipline in schools. There's no bullying in the Asian countries. Because, you know, they spend their first couple of years really working on cementing respect for everyone and, you know, and listening. Here, when I, I started, I taught for one school. I went in, did an after school program. They came in and said, could you help us? And I said, well, I said, give me one of the schools in Atlanta. And it was a problem school. I said, give me 30 of your worst students you've ever had. I mean, this is a terrible one. Give them to me. So I come in, they st stuck them in an the auditorium. I walk in, I have my uniform on. And one is sniffing glue. This is a middle school. So I take the glue. I take the little thing from them. I smash it against the wall. I yell out. I say, get your asses up. Get up. Stand in attention. And I had them all stand in attention and then sit down. I told them, whoever moves is going to be in trouble. Anyway, I exerted for the first time in their life, they had a father figure that cared for them. And I cared so much for them. I didn't yell and scream after... I started working with them. Well, two, three months later, the school board comes in. They want to see these kids. And these kids performed at such a high level. They were so studious, disciplined, wonderful, best kids I've ever had. And the teachers all started crying. And I said, what are you? They said, we have, 
It's miraculous. What have you done with these kids? And I said, it's called discipline. And the teacher says, that's the difference between your martial arts and our schools. We're not allowed to discipline them. They can do anything they want. They can cuss, scream, yell, run through schools. And what you do, the teachers, if they have a bad student, is they, they give them an A to get them out of the class. So if they had a system, I think it needs to be reformed. If I was the president, I'd go, we're going to start a whole new uh, education system. Not about kicks or punches. That's what scares them. Yes. Nothing to do with kicks or punches. We're going to build leadership training. We're going to do leadership training. Guess what? The first day of your kindergarten, you're going to stand up. And you, we're going to say, normally, if you were in like Japan, you would bow because that's showing respect to your teacher. Your teacher would bow back. We're in America. So maybe we're not going to bow, but we're going to say, hello, Mrs. Jones. And then she's going to say, hello, Mr. You know, hello, students back. You might bow. You might do something. But then you're going to sit and you got to sit for one minute and be quiet. You do drills like that. But it's teaching respect. That is the secret to martial arts, the secret to stopping bullying. But you can't go now into schools and say, hey, why don't you stop bullying? Because there's there's no discipline. There's no guess there's no accountability, responsibility for if they do something wrong. They can't kick them out of school. They can't do anything. They can't even send them home. So if you misbehave or beat up a student, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Yeah, so and, and I think part of the problem loss. Yeah. I think part of the problem stems from when you these kids aren't taught the kids aren't taught about respect, honor, integrity, these core principles at home. And when they get to school, the teacher still has to teach the, the syllabus, right? But they can't be the parents as well. And I think it just falls right, on the right. teachers. Like I imagine going to school and be like, I want to be a teacher, and you see all these horror stories. And sure, there's some terrible teachers, but I think uh, I think the people that want to become teachers and give back to the community and help our generations of kids are really good people that try it hard. It's like these parents will just drop their kids off. They don't go to their sporting events. They don't know what they're doing at school. They don't know what they're on right. their phone, what shows they're watching. It's like, at what point do you have to step back and be like, hey, maybe the parents need to take ownership here too? Now get this. I, you know, I have a lot to say it because I've been writing yeah. books about it. I've studied it a whole bit. And you hear criticism all the time. Oh, it's your, we don't have the good books in our schools. We're inner city. Our books are any good. Our teachers are any good. I go, no, that's not true. Guess what? Your books are no different than their books in a private school. Oh. And why are you putting down your teachers in your public schools? Why are you doing that? They're great teachers. They're trying real hard. They're sacrificing and working. It's not that they're not good teachers. You guess what? Their books are the same books studying over there. But what's the difference? In a private school, if you if you misbehave, they kick your fanny out of the school. They have discipline. In a public school, there's no discipline. So the difference in the two schools, but they go, oh my gosh, that school has all the amenities. This is the same, same teacher, same book, same paper, same pens. So what's the difference? The difference is they require and demand respect and the public schools don't. And that's the difference. And I think by having the martial arts come in, be input inserted into every school, like kindergarten and middle school, uh, elementary school, in a good way. Call it something else if martial arts is offensive to you. But, you know, but in a way that you come up like a martial artist does, because you take the worst kids in the world, you put in martial arts, they're disciplined. So that's the secret to it. But how do you do that? You have to have a reformation of the, of the education system. But, you know, something the teachers would be behind it. They would love it, you know, because they, the kids need parameters. They, they don't want to go crazy half the time. They want the father or mother figure helping them out. So I don't know. I, it, 
it's about the bullying issues. I've written books. I've been to the Oprah show. I talked about it yeah. on the Oprah show. And there's nothing you can do to stop bullying when there's no accountability if if you do bully. Because we got to say, well, you know, it's like this only the 10th time you've been up, you know, what? 10th time? No, we got to, this person has to be reprimanded somehow. So it, it's a tough one. But, it, and the part about my teaching was, Bullying is not physical only. I, and I always had examples. The worst bullying to me is mental bullying yeah. or verbal bullying. I say, you know, guess what? Guess what? And I, I did. I taught this all over the country, you know, when I do talks. And I go, you're in class and a guy comes up and he hits you in the arm. I say, how long does that hurt you? It's bullying. It hurts. Was it hurt? A day, maybe two days, an hour? I said, but guess what? When he calls you a name so hurtful, it stays with you your entire life. It stays with you your whole life. So that is bullying as well. So we have to address all the forms of bullying, you know, and, and that way, you know, to me, to have a program like this taught at an early age and you're coming up, you would understand that what bullying does. Because I took to me, you know, I, I was so offended. I was so offended to read this article about a little girl. Yep. She, five years old, she wanted to bring a bubble gun. Bubble, it was a bubble gun but it's blue bubbles and she wanted to blow bubbles. Now talking about a five-year-old in a kindergarten class, she didn't bring it, but she asked the teacher if she could bring it. So she wanted to bring the gun and shoot bubbles in the class for show and tell. So the teacher should have said, honey, we don't even say the word gun here or whatever, right? Or could have said, oh, that's nice, but maybe not. She grabs the little girl, takes her to the principal's office. Principal suspends her for two weeks, puts her on a terrorist watch list. The parents come in and go, you put my five-year-old on the terrorist watch list? Well, yes, because you mentioned gun in the class. The teachers couldn't take her their own. The parents couldn't take their kid and move them out because they're on the terrorist watch list and no other school would take them. Five years old. Instead of the parent going, instead of the teacher going, put an arm around the little kid, and especially if the teacher drug that kid to the principal, the principal should have said, come here, little girl. Oh, everything's fine. I'll go back to class. But no, instead of handling it that way, they overreact and they just go nuts. It's it's so it's like off the charts insane. Well, you also hear about I think the, the correlation to bullying is these kids that, that commit suicide too, especially after the last couple of years, the social anxiety. But when it comes to like the the bullying aspect of the suicide, you hear these stories. Well, it's like they wrote their journal, they're bullied again, or they told the teacher, and the teacher did nothing. And it goes on for weeks and months and years. It's like again, what's the system's broken. There's got to be a way you got to start doing what you're talking about. It's still discipline, respect and honor and integrity. And it's just when you see how does I'm st I still can't process what death is. And I'm 37 and these kids want to kill themselves when they're seven or eight. Like that, that just, it, it's, it's infuriating. It's sad. I, don't, I can't wrap my head around it. And you're right. You're and and it's going to take a strong personality to come in there and have maybe the teachers unions behind them and go, we need a total reformation. And we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're going to use these other countries that have success. Yes. And they've implemented discipline and respect. For some reason, when you say that, they think it's bad words. Those are bad words. You know, to be able to be respectful to your teacher so your teacher can at least teach you something. And implement that at an early age. Go through your classes. So by the time they get to middle school and high school, they know what that means. And they're acting accordingly. But at... I, at this early age, I mean, you ha I, I know of instances for teachers tell me stories, horror stories for, you know, for like first and second graders. 
yelling, screaming. There's no accountability. There's nothing you can do. This is, I just can't imagine it. It's, uh, I still talk to even people I've known for years, parents of friends, Mr. and Mrs. If I slouch at church, I still get a look for my mom or a pinch or like, what are you doing? Show respect. It's like, I love that atmosphere. I was raised by parents and they got it. They encourage this type of respect and honor. It's, I, when I see that in public, other people, my friends that refer to their parents by their first names or my parents as their first names, I'm just like, I want to grab them and slap them. But then, but then I'm like, maybe they were raised differently. I'm not saying they're not bad people, but it's, you will always be Mr. and Mrs. Or it's like, it's just a weird dynamic. I don't know. I have two younger sisters. And so I think literally four or five years after I went to like grade school and stuff and got to high school, I noticed a shift, especially with their friends and their their friends' parents, where it's like, they're being raised differently. And I don't know. I'm not saying I was hit as a kid, but if you talk back, you drank a half a bottle of Tabasco sauce. And I think... I, I think there is something to that. Yeah, no, I, it, and it, it all goes back to respect and discipline. Everything else, you know, and then it's without it, I don't care. It's like you're building the, I used to teach, you know, the martial arts and what's it take to get to a black belt? And I have building blocks and you have all these building blocks and you build it up. And I go, guess what? These are the tenets of being a black belt, respect and discipline and perseverance and skill. I said, guess what? Go pull one block out. You pull a block out and it crumbles, it falls. Mm -hmm. I said, it takes all of that. And you you just can't, you can't be great at martial arts and skill, but you don't have compassion or respect because then you'll be a bully yourself. So it's in order to be a black belt, you have to have all the tenets of the martial arts and and really leadership training at an early age could be so simple to do. Guess what? We're going to respect our teacher today and you're going to respect the teacher. You're going to respect them and talk in a positive way, reinforce them that way. Before I let you go, I've, I got to ask this question. When it comes like today, when you watch like a UFC fighter or like a, a fight or a boxer, obviously YouTube, you can see all the clips and the reels. But back in, when you were actively competing, how would you scout a fighter? Was it just word of mouth or like publications, the newspapers or like magazines? Like, how would you know this guy tends to do something or is this just going there? Because I think when you were doing this is obviously a lot different than today because you could literally scout this person's neighbor or what they ate the day before. How, like, how did you kind of deal with like different people like that? Well, I mean, actually, I mean, you could see them at tournaments or local tournaments. Okay. Or plus I traveled a lot and I worked out a lot. And, and uh, one thing that I did when I competed because of my track background, I had such good cardiovascular that I could warm up. And I always tried this. I was a white belt and I went, I don't want to pay $20 to enter a tournament and lose my first fight. I said, I'll warm up with some people, spar with them. And then before my first fight, even if I lose my first fight, at least I warmed up with four or five people. So as a white belt, I started that system. I went all the way to black belt all the way to black belt. And I would go six, seven, eight people before I got in the ring one time because I had the wind to do so. And and what you do is you don't fight to the death. You know, you ask somebody, hey, you mind warming up with me? And you exchange techniques. You do it about two or three minutes. You find everything about that person. And then you go to the next person and you work out with him. I do that eight times. So before I fought anybody, I worked out with eight people and usually different weight classes. And I'd go, I love doing that. And, uh, and so I always felt great. I hadn't fought one time but I've learned something already this this tournament. So that was an advantage that we had. We had everybody was right there. The thing about the the, the MMA is it's um it's apple it's apples and oranges. They don't have the respect and discipline 
that martial artists have. And it's not a good or bad thing. That's just who they are. They come from a different background. They come from wrestling or or weightlifting or boxing. They jump right in it. And all they know is they've got to be crazy and badass and beat everybody up. But in the martial arts, really, you got guys that come from the martial arts and make the transition into it. You can tell who they are because they're already they're very respectful, you know, and, and how they act in the ring. It's kind of a whole difference when you see somebody that has a background of the martial arts compared to somebody who doesn't. You know, and I, I, but some of these guys, the MMA fighters, are as tough as can be. Now, a friend of mine, Joe Corley, is starting PKA up all over again. He's supposed wow. to start at the end of this month. So he's got financing. He's going to start the fights up. He wants to kind of not break away from, from MMA. He doesn't want to see the fighting on the ground and elbows. He wants to he wants to take it back to the stand-up fighters. Yeah. So I'm going to be interviewing him soon, too. And, and pretty soon you'll start seeing PKA back on TV again. It's awesome. I love that. I just love when you go back and watch those old tapes of like yourself or uh, Jerry Tribble, uh, Bill Superfoot. Like I just, all that, it's just, and then when I had Keith Cook on the show, we'd always talk about like when he'd go to the gyms and stuff and the big tournaments and stuff in California and all the people are cheering and all they play like these big tournaments on these big basketball courts and people out there and doing their thing outside Gold's gym. And it's just, I wish it was like that today. Cause I think no, there's just it's, something it's, to it. It's a different world. I, you know, now they got senior divisions. You can fight one person in a senior division or, or one of these 18 divisions they have and become a world champion. Now you get world champions. Yeah, so what happens is every division has world champions. So multiply that. Let's say there's a thousand world champions came out of this tournament. Now there's a thousand new world champions out there. <laughs> and I'm like going, it's just insanity. It, you know, I, and it's not their fault for accepting no, it. It's the promoter's all. fault. It's the promoter's fault for trying to say, well, I've got to give the world championship trophy away to lure you in to make more money. I just wish they'd go, we're going to outlaw world champions from now on. Unless you unless you're fighting Japan or you're fighting, you know, in Italy or someplace, you're not a world champion. You're just fighting in a tournament. And I had this action film camp with Keith Strandberg and Michael DePasquale. First thing we do for every film camp, people come from all over the world and come in to learn how to break into the films. So Strandberg would always go, Keith, start it off. I always started off, welcome everybody. And I go, first of all, my first question, raise your hands if you're a world champion. And it'd be a hundred people, there's 60, 70 of me raising their hands. I go, what world are we talking about that you have 60, 70 world champions? I said, it's crazy. You guys aren't world champions unless, you know, unless you fought all over the world and there was some kind of Waco or some big, you know, there are some world champions that way. But back then I'd go, you fight one tournament, you're claiming to be a world champion. So it, it, it watered it down so much that there's no magazines, no following, no right. stories, no covers. You don't know who they are. You couldn't tell me the top 10 fighters, yeah. and point fighters. And, but back in our day, yeah. Now think about it. You mentioned these guys, Jared Trimble, I used to work out with. All these guys, everybody you mentioned, I used to train with, work out with. Jerry Rumley, all these phenomenal fighters. Jerry Trimble, he walked in the first time. Get this. Jerry Trimble <laughs> walks into my karate school. And uh, he, I mean, Joe Corley, he walks in with his, they fly him in from Kentucky. He's a young kid. And his instructor flies him in to come train with me. So he said, would you mind working out with him? I said, sure, get him dressed out. So I get on the mat. Jerry Trimble gets out there. I bow to him. I throw a back fist, and I have a good back fist. He does a jump, back leg round kick, and kicks me in the head. First move, off my back fist. I've never seen that move before. So I stop. I look where the instructor is smiling. I said, now that's fast. Now, I am going to have to hurt him, 
But I just want to let you know that was fast. <laughs> I said, I'm going to have to spank him for what he just did. But that was really good. You know, so imagine having that in your yeah. in your DNA that I, I train with everybody and anybody, all those guys. I go to California, Joe Lewis, I would train with and Bill Wallace over and over, all these people. And I would just train and and I loved it. I mean, I just, I, my, I've been to, you know, Fort Knox. I mean, I have just such a great genetics history. So I trained with the best. I came behind them and then I competed with some of the best. And then I have magazine covers. Get this. And then afterwards, I'm so blessed to do with me. My first film is Revenge of the Ninja, which is a, a gets classic. picked up by, yeah, it's a classic. And it's one of the top movies ever. Yep. Then my next movies with Jackie Chan. And I'm like going, did I just step in the right? You know, some people just are blessed and some people aren't. You know, I'm not saying I've had an easy life, but I, I'm so, it's such a great life that I can, I can go back and, and be thankful for the guys I trained with, the Chuck Norris's and Jeff Smith and those guys, that Benny Akita's, imagine fighting all these guys and then no, coming it's... up and then coming through and then doing movies with all these phenomenal movie stars. Why, wow, just great life. And now I'm going to do these podcasts like you're doing, which I love talking to you. And guess what? It's fun. That's not work. This is like what I want to do forever. No, for sure. And uh, this has been an awesome episode and I'm excited for everyone to listen to it. Uh, I know you've been talking about your podcast, but if people want to check it out, when does it air? Is it a specific day of the week? Is it going to be on iTunes, Spotify, all that, YouTube? Like, tell us a little bit about it, the it specifics of it. Right. It starts on February the 15th. That's a Wednesday. So every Wednesday, a new episode will come out, be released. It will no, be I dropped. love it. Every, so every Wednesday, going to be on all the social media platforms. It'll be on YouTube and and Spotify and Apple and all those places. And I think the way it works is the longer interviews might be on Spotify, some of the shorter ones, you know, on different ones. So, but I have a producer and, you know, editor does all that stuff for me and places it out there. And I, I'll just do the interviews and I can't wait to start interviewing more people. No, I love it. Uh, thank you, Keith, for everything. And uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Wonderful. I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about Nice Fucking Candles. We are lucky to have Nice Fucking Candles as a sponsor of the podcast, and if you use code SPIRITALK15, you get 15% off your first order, or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through Nice Fucking Candles. Nice Fucking Candles are 100% soy wax, they have a 65-hour burn time, maybe more, if you... Uh, nurse the flame a little bit maybe i don't know i'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles but i will say these things burn a long fucking time you ask you about the wick it's a double wick for even burning which is amazing and uh they come in three incredible flavors uh i'm not sure if you're going to be eating these candles but if you do like them the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng tobacco and fireside and seaside and driftwood once again uh nice fucking candles they are the candle company for spear talk and if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. 
Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast, podcast for you. you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek to help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.